0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, how thankful we are. That you have not left us orphans, that when our Lord Jesus, in his suffering, resurrection, and ascension, took his seat at your right hand, that also the triune God has come to us. Jesus says, the spirit of truth comes, and so the Father and the Son also, through the Spirit, take up their residence among us, within us, in the midst of your church, your church which is called to convey the light of Christ to the nations. How much we need the power and the presence of your spirit. Show us him at work in the early church. Give us eyes alert to how he, the spirit of Christ, works in your church yet today. We pray in his name, amen. You may be seated. And we are looking again at The appointment of seven servants to care for widows needs acts chapter six verses one through seven hear god's word now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the hellenists arose against the hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of god to serve tables and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last time we noticed the clues in the apostles' response to the grumbling Hellenists, clues that they were beginning to pick up that theme that Jesus tried to impress upon them, that servant, that leadership in in his community, in his kingdom, is servanthood. We saw that they paused to address the Greek-speaking widow's needs. Even though these women belonged to a linguistic minority in the Jerusalem church, even though they probably lacked power and influence, and seemed, perhaps to many, unproductive. And we saw that the apostles, in their discussion, categorized their own role as servanthood, as being like table waiters, only there to serve the word, whereas others will serve food, but a humble task. They're learning what Jesus taught them uh, and what Jesus showed them. Uh, In Luke, uh, when we have a parallel to the Mark 10 passage that uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago. In Luke, it's, Jesus gives this lesson at the Last Supper, which means, thinking about John, it's in the context of his already having washed their feet, doing the job that was beneath all of them. And Jesus says to them in Luke's Gospel 22, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, Not so with you, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. So they're learning it. They're learning humility from Jesus. And actually now as we focus on verses three through six, we see another hint that they're learning humility here. Um, seven more leaders are needed, uh, and what the apostles do is, in their role as ministers of the word, they lay out the criteria, but they do not handpick the seven leaders. They don't maintain control. These, these men who had been so power-hungry and so, so preoccupied with their own image and reputation, who gets to sit at the right hand of Jesus, huh? But now they say you need to find men who are well-spoken of, testified to, of good repute, who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and you, congregation, you identify who they are. You pick out those men. There's more humility. They trust the church, young and old, mature and lots so mature, to discern who has the qualifications, or maybe I should say they trust Jesus, the Lord of the church, who is working by his spirit in the church to speak through his church to discern the men who have the qualities testified to, full of the spirit and wisdom. Two points, really, just for our brief meditation today. First, leaders whom Christ empowers by his spirit then his church acknowledges publicly. And then secondly, Holy Spirit gifting, not sociological standing, is the qualification for leadership in Christ's church. Those two points. Leaders whom Christ empowers by his spirit, then his church, in response, acknowledges publicly. Now this discussion of the process by which the seven are identified is actually has three echoes of the account in Numbers when Joshua is selected to succeed Moses, to to lead the people into the land of promise, since Moses will not be able to do it. Now, you might not have been doing your devotions in the Septuagint in Numbers 27, and then flipped over to to Acts chapter six immediately, so you might not hear all the echoes Right off the bat, um, if, if you're not doing it that way, then the, actually the marginal notes in your Nestle-Aland Greek New Testament tells you this. Okay, the Novum Testamentum he gives you this. First echo, maybe the most surprising echo. Pick out, pick out. That's what the apostles say. Pick out from among you seven men full of good repute. This is not Luke's normal use, normal word for choose or select. Normally he loves. Eklegamai. In fact, he has 11 times in his gospel and acts, he uses eklegamai for choose, Eklegamai for choose. Here we have episkeptomai. And you Greek scholars are saying to yourself, visit, visit, care for, attend to. What's all that about? Yeah. Numbers 27. Moses, you can't go into the land. Moses says, Lord, pick out. ESV says, appoint, translating the Hebrew, pachad, Hebrew scholars see, I'm equal, opportunity here, Hebrew, Greek. Visit, choose, appoint, the man of your choosing. Um, Unusual term. Luke actually does use this word, visit, episkeptimi, a bunch of times, seven times in Luke Acts, but every other time, it has the idea of going to visit someone, or especially to go to visit someone in compassion or to care for them in some particular way. That's often the way it's used in the Old Testament, although in the Old Testament, the term, both the Hebrew and the Greek, also refers to time when God visits in judgment, sometimes in mercy. God visits his people to rescue them from Exodus, sometimes in judgment. Um, But in Numbers 27, It really, its function is choose, select, designate. Maybe related to the way that these terms, both the Hebrew and the Greek are used a lot actually in the Pentateuch to describe the enlistment of troops or the mustering of troops. It appears a bunch of times there and maybe that's why it appears here. But the point is, there's this connection. God makes a selection That's echo number one, the striking thing, the surprising thing when we look at Luke's normal vocabulary and leads us to suspect that something's going on with an Old Testament reference. And then the other two confirm it. Select someone who is already known to be characterized by the presence of the Spirit of God and place your hand on him. There's the other two echoes. Uh, God's answer to Moses is simply this. Moses says, Lord, you choose a man, your people can't be like sheep without a shepherd. You choose, you designate, you visit the man. And the Lord answers, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. God equips by the spirit, and then his church acknowledges what God has done. God's spirit is already in Joshua, He's been demonstrated in Joshua's faithful conduct as Moses' loyal, courageous assistant, even in battle. The Spirit is transforming Joshua's life and using Joshua for great good. He's the natural successor. Same thing for these seven servants. They're known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And so Joshua is to be acknowledged publicly by Moses as the next leader through the laying on of hands. Similarly, we see that the seven are set apart by the apostles by the laying on of hands. The church publicly acknowledges what God has already done by his spirit to prepare leaders for his church. I suppose our sports metaphor, especially in the fall after the Olympics, would be passing the baton, right? Passing the baton. Thing is, though, uh, that isn't a perfect metaphor because in passing the baton, there's often not a direct skin-to-skin contact. In fact, usually it's better if there's not. Just pass the baton, whereas the laying on of hands depends on that touch. It's not magical, it's not mystical, it's not sacramental, but it's meaningful that the one in leadership touches, lays hands on, the one who is brought into leadership. That's why the scriptures speak of ordination in Paul's pastoral epistles of of Timothy having been set apart for his ministry through the laying on of hands of a body of elders. And later on, Paul cautions, also in 1 Timothy, says to Timothy, now you're in leadership Do not hastily lay hands on anyone. Wait, wait for the men whose maturity in Christ, whose spirit fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, and whose spirit giftedness, abilities to teach, to shepherd, to rule, to correct, to admonish, are evident and demonstrable. Don't rush to lay on hands. That's the dynamic. God equips the church acknowledges. Which also, I think, helps us to see if, if, as I'm convinced, Numbers 27 is the backdrop here. One other surprising thing about pick out, that first of the three echoes, the pick out thing was, we said it was surprising because that's not Luke's normal category vocabulary for choice. But the other thing is, did you notice Moses prayed, Lord, you pick out the man who will succeed me, who will be the shepherd so God's people will not go shepherdless. Now the apostles say to the church, you pick out. Hmm. Is this that the Lord has not picked out these men? Well, of course he has. He's filled them with the spirit, filled them with wisdom. But that that little twist shows that now in the New Covenant, because all of God's people, Acts 2, have had the Holy Spirit poured out on them to equip them to build up the body of Christ and in one way, shape, or form to bear witness to the mighty deeds of God as they did on the day of Pentecost. All of God's people, now anointed by the Spirit, are the instruments through whom God shows whom he has chosen for leadership. Heidelberg Catechism asks us why we are called Christians. And the answer is very simple. Because I belong to Christ, so I share in his anointing. And then it goes on to talk about our anointing as prophets and priests and kings, to confess his name, prophetic, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, priestly, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterwards to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. There's the king. You're united to Jesus. He was anointed without measure, without limit, by the Spirit of God. Now he apportions his Spirit in various ways to his people, but the whole community of God's people are the ways in which God now designates leaders for his church, his choice through his people. God equips by his Spirit. His church then, as his instruments, as those united to Christ and receiving his anointing, publicly acknowledge that. Second point, very briefly, the Holy Spirit gifting, not sociological standing, is the qualification for leadership in Christ's church. And this comes from the names and the descriptions of the seven that we see here. All the names are Greek from Stephen right through Nicolaus. Doesn't necessarily mean that these are Greek speaking part of the Greek-speaking portion of the church. After all, some of Jesus' Jewish, Galilean, Aramaic-speaking disciples had Greek names. Philip, another Philip than this one, horse lover. Uh, or Andrew, masculine, along with Shimeon, Simeon, and Yochanan, and Yaakov. So Hebrew names, Greek names, among Aramaic-speaking apostles. But many scholars do think that all of these were from the Greek-speaking port of the church that was being overlooked in the mercy ministry of the church. And at least Luke tells us explicitly about the seventh. Notice only the first and the seventh are described with more than a name. Stephen, full of faith in the spirit. Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch. Nicolaus, we're told about him. He's a convert to Judaism. He was born a Gentile, most likely to pagan parents. But somehow the Spirit of God helped him to see that the God of Israel is the true God of heaven and earth, and he converted to Judaism. He received circumcision. He committed to keep Torah, Before presumably before he came to faith in Jesus. He's a proselyte. And he's from Antioch. Third largest city of the Roman Empire, by no means an Aramaic-speaking city, it's a Greek-speaking city. So he's a minority in two respects. He's a minority in terms of his linguistic legacy, and he's a minority as one who has come into the covenant community by conversion from outside, from the outside pagan Gentile world. And yet, the congregation sees in him evidence of the fullness of the Spirit and the Spirit's wisdom, and the apostles don't hesitate for a moment placing their hands on him, which means placing in his hands, along with the other six, this important task of overseeing mercy ministry in the congregation. What counted was not his family ancestry, his cultural background, his linguistic legacy, but the gifting of Christ's Spirit. What counted was that he, along with the other six, by grace had been made to reflect his master whom the prophet Isaiah describes as the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. hear that? The spirit and wisdom, it's Jesus. He's the one full of the spirit and wisdom, the spirit of counsel and might. He's the one who doesn't judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. He doesn't look at widows and say, oh, they're not much use. He doesn't look at children and say, well, they're just pests. No, Jesus looks at hearts, and these men are reflecting him full of the spirit, full of wisdom. Jesus, Jesse's shoot Jesus is still engaging people by looking at our hearts' needs and moving in mercy through his church, through the leaders of his church, to meet us with compassion. So our question is, are we, are you, am I, becoming men, and yes, women, of good repute that is full of the Spirit?